Oh my goodness. I have just been transported into a completely other world full of magic and emotion. I feel so Christmassy. My guests today were Mr and Mrs Lapland, otherwise known as Mike and Alison Battle. And they're the founders of the otherworldly Lapland UK. And they founded this business just basically on belief. I don't, I mean, literal belief, a childhood belief, a magical belief. And a passion to honour childhood. I mean, have you ever heard anything like it? Because Mike and Alison have built something that is just much more than a business or a brand. They've basically built dreams. And I loved delving into how you create a business, a dream that makes dreams and it works and it's long-term, and it gives back, and it gets better and better every year. And I think they've been at it for 16 years, and as a married couple, that's that's an achievement in itself. But that zest they have together, the love that they feel, is just apparent, not only for themselves, but for helping all children really feel what it's like to be a child. And for us as parents and grandparents to have the gift of witnessing it. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm off to go and eat so many mince pies, it's silly. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. Hi, I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. I founded my first business, Not on the High Street, at 28, with a newborn strapped to my chest. Nearly 20 years on, he's all grown up and I'm running my second business, Holly & Co. I've learnt so much about taking risks, running a business and some extraordinary life lessons along the way. And I know others have too. Yet despite the wealth of experience we have between us, lessons like this are often left unheard and it can feel like we're travelling our paths alone. So I've reached out to founders and those who simply inspire me to share their hard-earned wisdom with you. My hope is that collectively, these remarkable realisations will help you on your own journey. I like to think of it as inspiration for life. If you enjoyed this episode, might I ask you to share it with a friend and to like, subscribe and review it so that together we can ignite people's passion across the UK. Now, let's begin this week's Conversation of Inspiration. So welcome, both of you, Mr and Mrs Lapland, otherwise known as Alison and Mike. Thank you so much for taking time away from the forest to join Conversations of Inspiration. Thank you, Holly, and thank you for inviting us to be on. Lovely to be here, Holly. Nice name as well. Holly, very good. <laughs> I, I just thought this is this is a very Christmassy podcast. It is now December. It's Holly and it's Lapland. I mean, perfect. what could you ask for? It's perfect. You're the founders and authors and producers behind the magic of Lapland UK. An, an utterly immersive experience, unlike anything that we've seen in the UK before. Now, I've not been... 
but I have heard what it's like. And it, it is literally, I, anyway, I'm not going to story steal. I want you to tell me all about it. Um, the one thing I am going to mention to my listeners is um, I have heard that many of my listeners, little ones, do listen to Auntie Holly. Yes. And so I would just say that we're going to be talking about Father Christmas and Mike and Alison might even share a few secrets of the elven world if we're lucky. So just make sure there's only suitable ears for this episode. Good. Right. So I just wanted to get that, make sure that was out the way. I, I, The magical doorways to the elven world that we just mentioned were open a few weeks ago. Can you tell me what a typical day looks like for you at this time of year? Or is there even a typical day in this sort of magical land that you've created? I would say that once the event is up and running, there is a typical day really because it has to run like clockwork. So for every child to have their dreams realised, we go into a huge amount of behind the scenes preparation. So it really does need to run pretty much the same every day operationally. For Mike and I, every day is different because every family is different. And very much our role in the company nowadays, it has been operational in the past, but nowadays it's very much um, a cultural piece. So we're there as brand ambassadors, if you like, meeting the families, meeting the team, meeting the cast, going into wardrobe, checking that everybody is ready and has got the, you know, the Lapland way about them when they go out there to meet the families. So it's very much a, a sort of a meet and greet role, certainly for me these days. And that's where the joy comes from. Amazing. Mike, always feel, always feel, just, just, just start talking. It's no... I, I always talk in stories, Holly, so I suppose I'll do that. Um, the way I always describe Lapland um, and bringing the show together, it's like we, we build everything from scratch. So it's like building a 747 plane that you have to then ultimately take off the ground. Then once you get up to sort of 30,000 feet where you've built the show, uh, everything is working, you've hired a thousand people, you've trained, you've uh, done workshops, performance, you know, checked everything and uh, that can affect and improve or refine the show, then you can almost metaphorically slightly take your seatbelt off mm. and then you just fly on and then the machine works. But you do have to build the machine from scratch every year and then Christmas Eve, um, that's that's the the end of the flight as such, and then we we take it down uh, thereafter. <laughs> and that's where you get the drinks trolley, is it? <laughs> At that point in time, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it sounds amazing. The Elven World uh, is only open for six weeks a year, so I I am extraordinarily interested in what the rest of your year looks like. But I was wondering if we could just take a moment to go back to the beginning and how Lapland UK was just first founded because you met when you were both very young and Mike you went on to work as a hedge fund manager and Alison you were a primary school teacher mm -hmm. and together you had four young sons. Um, was Christmas always a magical time of year for you as a family when your boys were little and I can imagine Alison as a teacher you had a lot of practice firing yes. up children's imaginations yes. and things. Absolutely right, Holly. So yes, I had my primary school training. So I was able to do lots of magical memory making moments in our home with the boys. So all of the things that I would do with the children in the classroom, I would come home and do with the boys at home. So we did have a really magical run up to Christmas. 
But the problem for me was when we left the home to go for that time-honoured tradition of meeting Father Christmas. So yes, within the walls of our own home, everything was magical and wonderful and full of imagination. But going to meet Father Christmas was where the disappointment came. And this is where the start of Lapland UK really came from as well, because I couldn't find anywhere that I felt matched this moment mm. of beauty and innocence and respect, really, for children's um, you know, fleeting belief. And we tried. So, as you say, we had four boys, including twins under the age of five. So a busy My time. <laughs> yeah, you uh, could say uh, that. a very busy, but very, very happy time. And we tried every year we would go to whether it be stately homes or London stores, steam train rides, everything. And I always came along away disappointed because to me, there was no storytelling, no authenticity, no believability really. And um, we even took the boys to Lapland in Finland. But for me, it was all about trying to capture this moment of their fleeting belief and really came to a head when we went to um, one grotto, if you like, and the Father Christmas, as usual, looked very young, very cheap costume and gave the boys um, a toy that was so cheap, it was plastic, that one of them sliced their finger open. Mm. And I had a child with a bleeding finger who had just received this gift from Father Christmas. And to me, I just that's it, you know, enough is enough. Why isn't this moment really being properly honoured, properly respected? And we did that thing of, well, let's turn the question on ourselves. Well, why don't we do something about it? My goodness me. And uh, Mike, you had been working in the city for 20 years, working under pressure, making quick decisions, juggling risks on a daily basis. And I read that you were actually um, quite creative at school, but your father was a banker and thought best that um, you followed in his path. Well, that was, I suppose, is my little story, I suppose, uh, Holly, is that um, at school as a child, I was uh, very sort of gifted at uh, painting and drawing and everything creative. I was sort of top of the class without even trying. Um, and uh, I, my father found a, a little job advertisement in the Evening Standard and it was for a trainee stockbroker. And he thought, this is a great idea. He's going to go off and uh, it sounds semi-glamorous and hopefully he'll make some money. So uh, I, in many ways, I was open for it and I didn't really realise the the value, I suppose, of this creativity um, that I had. So I, I suppose, in the sort of Hollywood way, went off to the, the big city to try and make some money. And in many ways, I was quite happy to go off to the city. To It seemed quite exciting. Yeah, you know, sure. Listen. And uh, so, so I went off to the city and, and I did pretty well. You know, I ended up on the old stock market floor and, uh, and I had some fun down there. And then I ultimately made my way through to, I suppose, what you'd call the high wire of trading, which is actually hedge fund trading, but often trading with your own money. And uh, our journey has been that some of the skill sets that possibly I have picked up through the city have proved incredibly valuable. One of them is having a slightly abnormal tolerance for risk. Uh, when you're a hedge fund trader, you're literally at risk all day long, every day. And it's to, I suppose, do a metaphor for it. It's almost like when you see a, a Vietnam film and you have somebody walking across the battlefield and there's all these things blowing up and whatever, and the person's just having a cup of tea and just getting on with life. <laughs> so you sort of, you know, have this really weird 
uh, tolerance. And, and also you have, and you know as a, an entrepreneur yourself, uh, you build incredible grit. Mm. You know, you can get knocked over by the bus 15 times and then you look up and the reverse lights go on and you know it's going to hit you again. <laughs> but then you've always got to get back up. You've always got to get back up. So you develop your mind to mm. be able to uh, do that as such. And in many ways, when... Um, we reached this moment where, as Alison said, we, we sort of challenged the whole model of the treatment of this uh, area. And um, we just we, we feel that this uh, moment, whether you're lucky enough to be a, a believing child or have a, a, a child of believing age or even a grandchild of believing age, this should be in what we call your love filing cabinet. It's there with your wedding day. It's there with your graduation day. So this is very high status for me and Alison, and we didn't quite understand how it'd been hijacked by the uh, the commercial world to sort of pull you into shopping malls and things like that. So I was pleased to hear at the, the top of the, the podcast you saying that we're, we're not interested in sort of polishing what's already been there. Myself and Alison are slightly... Uh, because that we actually want to completely and utterly reinvent yeah. this space oh. with integrity, storytelling, yeah. investment, all that good stuff that the 21st century does. That's that's why you're here, because I just think that what you have done is 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 quite extraordinary. <laughs> and I really want to delve into it because yeah, I'm 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 really fascinated. So as a family, so you had this desire for this magical experience, couldn't agree with you more. Um and, and what what has been out there um and actually is out outside of you guys. I often speak about um, founders at the start of the business is um, on a needs basis. It's actually the entrepreneur can't find what they need. And they think, well, there must be other people like us. Whereas most of the people I've spoken to have gone on to maybe create a product or a brand and a clothing, all those sorts of things. I've actually not... (laughs) spoken to, I'm trying to think back, I've done 180 of these, but I don't think I've spoken to anybody who has created an event. Um, did you immediately have faith in the idea that it could work? Um, we're going to we're gonna break this story down because I'm going to talk to you about the sort of risks and the money mm. and, you know, that lovely word that comes up. Because um, just even the start of it, so Mike, did you like quit your job? And Alison, did you quit your job? And you say, right, that this is it, we're going to do this. The, the, the germination of the idea, I suppose, was uh, I was probably having all this uh, creativity that was sort of uh, bottled up inside. <laughs> yeah, stifled, bottled up inside me, and I was I was getting a little bit sad, if I'm honest, Holly. Ooh. And I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing, and I was thinking, have I got another 25, 30 years of this? And this many people me. like you, Mike. But so, I'm sure there are. So so. Um, we got to the point where I started looking around for if there was another business or something like that that I could uh, invest in, develop or something like that. And uh, ever a market, I suppose, to have what, what society is doing. And at that point, there was uh, the argument of the environment had been made to society that we can't continue to drive, you know, huge cars and uh, we have to really be mindful of our carbon footprint and so on. And then, so I was thinking that there might be, you know, something in the environmental world that we could, um, you know, step into. And and I sort of G'd myself up on all of that. But also there was this sort of blind spot in our own family where Alison is very much an unbelievable champion of young children. She just sort of squeaks when she sees a little four-year-old going along. So, and this this frustration where, as Alison explained many times, we'd be sitting in our people carrier, four boys in the back, money in my pocket, very happy to spend it, but nowhere to go. Mm. So, so I was listening to this. I was listening to moments where there was a, a primary school 
uh, I think it was, a, it was one of your helpers, wasn't it, Alison, who went to uh, Lapland and back for the day trip. And they came from very um, humble sort of background, really. So there wasn't a lot of money swashing around. And they'd almost spent the whole holiday budget on this one day to go to Lapland and back. And I was thinking, this is crazy. So then I started looking into it because I was thinking maybe the environmental sort of positioning or where we are now as a society is giving us the mandate to completely reinvent this space and do something properly. As I said, I wasn't interested in sort of polishing what was already there in some ways and just being a slightly better. I wanted to completely and utterly reinvent this whole space in its, in its rightful sort of integrity and so on. And, um, and I suppose that's when the germination of all these ideas came together. And as Alison said, we asked the question of ourselves, why don't we do something? Yeah. But as you say, Holly, as to whether or not we um, were successful in the idea from the very beginning, it was as though we had tapped into the national grid, the electricity around the idea right from day one was absolutely extraordinary. And we had realised right from the get go that there was such a desire by families to have something like this, an experience like this. And in fact, our very first year in 2007, we went along to the Forestry Commission, never having done anything other than a family party before. You know, we weren't events people. We had no experience of the events industry. And we, we went along to our local Forestry Commission and we said, well, we really like the idea of bringing this sort of authentic, believable experience um, to your forest this Christmas. And they said, yes, do it. You must do it. And I remember it was February half term because that's why I'd been able to have the day off and go and sort of present to them <laughs> our idea. And as soon as we had said it, was it was like a kite had gone up in the air and everybody was saying, you've got to do this, you must do this. So then we're thinking, oh, crikey, now we've got to make this happen. So we, we started everything ourselves from the beginning, literally wrote our own website, um, found a coder to put it up. Um, we, we didn't do any traditional marketing that first year. So the way that worked was that there was something called the Forest Concert Tours, where artists would go around performing in various sort of venues, forest um, environments. And James Morrison was coming to this particular forest that we had um, earmarked in Kent. And on the day of the concert, we had made some very old fashioned little postcards that just said, shh, there's a secret in the forest this Christmas, Lapland UK. And as the families arrived, we handed out these postcards and they had their picnics, listened to the concert. The end of the night, we said, we'll go round and do the litter picking now because I'm sure all those postcards are all over the floor. And they said, no, there, there are none. They've all gone home. Everybody's taken these postcards home. Everybody wants to find out about what you're talking about. And on the back of that postcard, we sold 37,000 tickets. Oh, way. my goodness. And yes, yeah. To totally sold out. Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike then went to see the chairman of Sea Tickets at the time. And uh, he got up from his desk and he shook Mike's hand and he said, I have never heard of a story like this. Two complete and utter rookies selling out an event that uh, is 50 miles outside of London, down in Kent. And that was the start of it. So we knew from the beginning there was a huge demand for families to have something very yeah. special for their children. But let me just ask, though, because this is that is just that done, right? So you sort of drop the mic, you're thinking <laughs> this is this is a great story. But for you guys, you know, and uh, knowing what it's like to start businesses and sort of the 
pure optimism. Um, I was going to say naivety, <laughs> but actually someone has almost updated my word a, a couple of podcasts ago. It's almost like you can say naivety, but naivety has got this sort of negative mm. um, uh, nuance about it. Actually, naivety is just ridiculous optimism, um, just off the scale, um, complete belief. And even though you don't know what you're doing, you're still going to do it, <laughs> um, which is exactly what you did. Did you have no naysayers at that time? Because you both had jobs and things like that. And, you know, it, obviously the, yes. the public loved it. Yeah. So 37,000. Yeah, I'm going to bring my kid. Oh, wow, wow, wow. But yeah. what about people around you? Because I'm sure bank managers or whoever or whatever, you you know, those types of people might be slightly looking at you oddly. I think um, immediate family were very concerned, uh, very worried for us and, and our well-being because, as you say, we were entering <laughs> entering a world that we knew nothing about. And yes, in terms of financing, we did it ourselves. So we remortgaged our homes, we borrowed from family and friends to get it up and running. Um, so, so yeah, I think there were a few naysayers, but more than anything, it was our own sort of belief in what we were going to do. Although I do remember telling our next door neighbours when we first came up with the idea. And because this area of Father Christmas had been so trivialised and so poorly treated, we were actually embarrassed to tell people our plan. It, it was, you know, it was as though we'd gone away to run off with a circus. We were saying, no, you tell them, no, you tell them, because <laughs> we just thought people are going to think, you know, we, we've we've lost the plot. Lost the plot. I, I Well, I can imagine. I, I spoke to Kenya King, the founder of the Mobo Awards, and she said, you know, there was a gap in the market, um, but she literally started building the event from her bedroom. And, um, mm. she, you know, she was proving everyone wrong. She told me that every time she heard the word no, she took it to mean not over. So mm. you sort of, you begin that journey, don't you? Not over. Mm. So you're like, okay, you're saying no. And slightly, I'm a little bit like this. The more the no comes, the more that's literally rocket a rocket fuel um, for me to, to prove them right. Firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today listening to this podcast. And I know that your life is incredibly busy and you're juggling many things, let alone throwing in Christmas. Like so many, I seem to be designated Mrs. Christmas again in the household, organising festive cheer, the gifts, the food, the magic... But without the gold star or any of the praise that Father Christmas gets, of course. Well, first of all, I'm going to give you a gold star right now. A picture me pinning it onto your chest. Secondly, I'm positive you would love to enjoy Christmas shopping again. So I'm going to put the joy back into that as well. I've curated the best creative small businesses from across the UK, all under one roof. You'll find unique and thoughtful ideas for the pizza lovers, the kitchen discoers, the wild swimmers, the tricky teenagers, even the dad who has everything. Why are men so hard to buy for? I've curated the best in Christmas decorations, tablescapes and made the ultimate gift wrapping department. 
I've even taken care of the magic, those tiny touches that make your heart sing. In fact, you might well even find that you would like to be gifted yourself this Christmas because I bet it's not the first time you've been tasked with choosing your own gifts. So sit back, Mrs. Christmas, and prepare to get excited. The home of small business at holly.co has all the brilliant ideas that you'll need. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. How did you begin? So you remortgaged the home to raise the money, borrowed from family and friends. You've now got the forest. So the forest is there. Um, There's no leaflets on the floor. Uh, This is February. This is February. I'm assuming you're thinking this November or whatever is going to start. I mean, how Mm -hmm. did you start this then? Well, you, you, you pick up the phone and uh, you call someone that knows somebody and uh, that leads to another call that say, no, it's not me, it's somebody else, it's somebody else. And you keep going, Holly, and you, you know the road. The, the intriguing thing, I suppose, is with the naysayers, and there wasn't really that many, but I have such a sort of a strong vision of what we could achieve. And I always say that the barrier to learning the new is what people already know. And they didn't really know, and even to this day in some ways, don't really know what's in my head. So I'm always pushing beyond. And uh, eventually when it's delivered, then they go, oh, I get it now. The other thing I supposed to your uh, listeners, which is a sort of an intriguing one, is that we funded it completely ourselves because I wanted full autonomy over everything that we did. And the agenda was to uh, make something brilliant, to, to, some, to really create something new in the market, something that really reflected the, the value that Alison and wider families would uh, think it's, it's uh, you know, of the same level or reflects that value. And, and that's very difficult to start the new. So we didn't want the money saying, well, we want to have our money back in three years' time or five years' time, and we want this return, and we want this return, mm. or whatever. We always start with our purpose. I mean, we're now, I suppose, t- titled as a purpose company, but we were purpose 17 years ago. Mm. Our, our purpose is honouring childhood together. And, we, and that's what has been the, the fuel that we've burned. And if we were just in this to make some money, we probably would have given up a long time ago. It'd be yeah. way too hard to do this. But that is what uh, kept us going. And through all these incredibly difficult things, because as you said, we have some amazing optimism or entrepreneurs at that early stage but you have about you know a tiny little bit of knowledge don't you and you have to fill in the blanks with bone and tears and and, and everything else <laughs> and uh, you have to be able to keep going but if you keep going because it's sort of in your soul then you will keep going yeah and and, and Alison can I just ask this this first event I mean I've, I've put on two two or three events um and it nearly killed me mm. uh, we did it all ourselves but it, it literally it was one day it nearly killed us yeah. um it, the events actually scared the bejeebas out of me because it's it's it, it's just one time and it can all go wrong literally just I mean gosh tell me how that first event keeping it on track keeping it I mean with no experience yeah so it nearly did kill us to be honest (laughs) I I was gonna say (laughs) Mike well well said (laughs) Mike did have some hair at the beginning of of the season and and none by the end so Mm, it it really nearly did kill us and because as you say naivety you you go into these things with such a belief and such a passion and then the reality of having to deliver on that 
hits and every day the public coming at you and we didn't have any down days. So we were literally every single day back to back. But that some amazing and magical things have happened along this journey. And I honestly, you know, I think the serendipitous things. And one of them is that we happened to come across the most amazing lady who became our event producer that, that year and she actually saved us. So the, the way that story went is that we went along to a local coffee shop in a little um, village in Kent and we were enjoying the food that was on offer there and we spoke to the lady behind the counter and we said, you know, amazing quiches and soups and things you've got here. We're, we're <laughs> about to put on an event around the corner in the forest. I wonder if you'd be interested in, in providing the food for us. And she said, oh, I'm very interested in what you're doing. I'd, I'd love for you to come over and have a chat with me. So we went to visit her in her home and um, she was saying, yes, people would come in this way and this is where they'd collect their food and this is where they'd pay, etc. And then she said, come into my um, my barn and I'll show you the sort of layout of how this flow could work. So we walked into the barn and we could see all these lanyards hanging up of every artist you can ever imagine. Spice Girls, Robbie Williams, all, you know, huge, huge artists. And she didn't say anything about it. She just talked about soup and quiche. And then um, when we got home, she said, well, I'll send you over my sort of CV and you can see if we could sort of take this further. Anyway, her name was Lisa Anderson and she had just retired from being executive producer of the Brit Awards. So she was was, was woman of the year and she had just retired to take up a deli in a little tiny village in Kent. (laughs) And she said, you know, do you know what? I love what you're doing and I'm coming on board. So she came on board with us right from that first event. And really, we would not have made it without her. Magic. She's a rock star. Magic. That's the power of, isn't it, talking to people. I love your quiche. Oh, I'm just doing (laughs) a thing thing. But you know, that I really think that is, though, because it can be you're in the pub, you're talking, it's someone in Sainsbury's, you are, you know, and that is actually the power of just purely communicating continuously about your idea. Mm. Because actually that is where the doors get opened and that you, as I said, quiche... Led to, <laughs> led yeah. to her. I mean, amazing. Along our journey, there's been so, so many of these magical moments and these magical people that have just popped up for no random. I mean, you can almost go a bit woo-woo on it just to say, yeah. you know, build it and they will come. And yeah. the, the, you will attract, the universe will offer up these people to you. And that has definitely, definitely been the case yeah. on numerous occasions Not woo-woo, not mm. woo-woo on this podcast. Mm. It, I've got pure <laughs> evidence in every single story I've captured in this library that that is completely the truth. Because it's that, it, you know, it goes back to, isn't it, chemistry. You know, the physicality of us putting out the vibes, our energy, and it literally is attracting and it opens up doors. It's just incredible. So you sold these 37 thousand tickets i can only imagine that you were on your knees probably doing mm-hmm. everything yourself yes you had sir paul mccartney and the um countess of wessex visited huge Ho- holly yes holly let me interrupt you this you let me go a little bit further back yes you didn't only have to put the show on you had to get not permission only from the forestry commission you had to get planning permission ah. okay so what happened I'm was, sure that was easy. <laughs> oh, yeah, very easy with the um, the pitchforks of the, the localers in, out in Kent. 
a long story short, um, there was a, it became quite controversial. Oh. It went all through um, the local newspapers because they were thinking we were going to do sort of burger vans because why would they think we were going to do exactly. this charming, elegant experience because Christmas up until then was all about burger vans and cheap and nasty. So a long story short, I ended up in a... A sort of village hall, and it had a gallery above it, and there was um, a cast of eleven councillors in front of us, and uh, you had to sort of give your pitch as to why you think you should get this planning permission. And this was was it about three four days before we opened, because we, we were told by the the forestry commission we were allowed to do the show, but then laterally this was challenged by the um, the public and the council. So, you so had we then all got of into that this underneath fight. everything that you were doing. You didn't yeah, even know if you yeah. could do it or not. No, but every time I spoke at this village hall, they all booed. Oh, my. <laughs> and then the vote went, and it went to five all. And then on the uh, chairman's vote, it went to six, five, and we won, and we did the show. But just to, put, just to put that into context, Holly, the children had all received their invitations because they receive a personalised invitation from Father Christmas in the post. This was on the Monday, and we were due to open on the Friday. So the children were all expecting to come. How absolutely incredible. How incredible. I mean, it, it, it did in the end happen. As I said, Sir Paul McCartney, the Countess of Wessex visited. It was fantastic. Except, and this is where, you know, I, I want to sort of, be, not bed in here, but this is the reality. This is what this podcast is about. It's about the true realities of running business. Because soon after you face going into administration, you were dealing with a rogue copycat, which was damaging your reputation. Um, mm -hmm. And the country, because we're now talking, what year is this? This is 2009. 2009, so we were so in a hard recession. recession. We launched um, um, Not on the High Street in 2006. I, I, I know that time. So were you, what happened there? Because there was the huge success. And I, I always tell the story, you know, not in the high street, we struggled on and then suddenly the tills started ringing, but yep. we had run out of money. It's always this moment where it, you know, I always, I stamp my feet even today. Why can't it just work from the moment go? You know, why do you have to have <laughs> the, yeah. the pain at the beginning? I know, what was that I moment know. like then? I'll start this one, Mike, and you finish it. So we had obviously hit on something very special in 2007. And I think when you're successful, other people look to what you're doing and think, oh, I wonder if there's a version of this that we could perhaps do. And in 2008, as you say, a rogue uh, copycat event opened and they didn't come at it with purpose as we did. They didn't come at it with any um, interest in a child's belief in Father Christmas. It was a cheap money-making exercise. Copy. Yeah, but nothing of, of any quality at all. And I think our PR company said that year, every single conversation, they not that year actually, 2008 was fine because 2007 it had been so successful. 2008 we sold out. Mm -hmm. This rogue copycat uh, operator also ran in 2008. So the problem happened in 2009 because mm -hmm. the PR company said every single conversation they had that year was, 
you're not that crapland thing that's happening, are yes. you? And we were we had the reputational confusion of are you anything to do with this event, which actually was closed down very quickly. But it got in that meantime, five front pages of the Sun newspaper because it's a hilarious story to people at Christmas. You know, Father Christmas being punched and, you know, elves smoking that's not funny to us at all. You know, that is mm. really, that is stealing a child, a childhood mm. and mm. something that we are so passionate and angry about. But on the back of that, there was this reputational confusion. And well, Mike, you might want to take, but actually what happened with those rogue operators in the end, which is really interesting, is they went to prison. They went to prison for misrepresentation. Wow. So that's just how passionate parents are about their Mis- children. Misrepresentation of your company. No, misrepresentation of what they were offering. So oh. a magical, believable experience of Father Christmas, uh, you know, enhancing childhood, etc. So right. it was the biggest it was the biggest trading and I'm not even sure if it still is, the biggest trading standard scandal ever. And uh, it, as I said, the story went as far as Argentina, Australia. As Alison said, the construct of it was perfect. You had the victim, which was a beautiful family, and then you had the villain, who was the producer, and it was a great story to have at Christmas. And it was, again, this ultimate sort of trivialisation. One thing which was quite funny, even going back in 2008, we had all the tabloids come rushing down to us when this story was starting to unfold because they were thinking, oh, you're another yes. sort of... Um, donkey you can put a pin in and they literally went round the show and then they came out and said oh you're really quite good this is quite boring and then they went back off to (laughs) (laughs) to do this but as Alison said the sort of tidal wave of negativity came in 2009 which ultimately led for us going into administration and uh, everything went wrong in that um, as Alison said we had this reputational confusion we had the economy in a difficult place through our naivety um, in some ways of running the business, we had people stealing from us. There was everything that pretty much could go wrong, could go wrong. So then we went into into administration and we got told about this thing called a prepack where you sort of buy back your company. So we did that and it was almost like just saving your draining child. You didn't know really what to do, but it was sort of instinct almost. So uh, you, ha- you had that. As part of that journey, we had literally bailiffs banging on the door, all, all sorts of things like this. But through that moment, uh, in actual fact, Alison's struggle sometimes with the uh, success of Lapland, but and when it gets the toughest, Alison's amazing. And what we did was we, we said to ourselves, well, we've got something here. And I suppose I always tell a story and I was saying, we've obviously got some talent in that we've sold about 80, 100,000 tickets. As you said, we've had Paul McCartney, we've had huge interest, you know, national press, all of this type of thing. So I said, we've obviously got talent, but we're a bit like a teenager. We're, we're a bit stupid and we've slightly put mum's car in the hedge, okay? <laughs> So uh, so we could get the car out of the hedge and, you know, clean it up and, and get it on the road again. And uh, and also, I suppose, and this is a, a good message possibly for your uh, listeners, is that it was the weather, it was reputational confusion, it was loads of things technically outside of my control. control but I actually took responsibility for it all. I said, if the, the um, outside of our responsibility control, I said we should have had uh, trademark protection. If it was the weather, we should have been stronger in our production. If it was people stealing from me, we should have had the security in place. And although that was a very, very tough road to take, when you take all those bullets and you carry that 
sort of angst or or sort of real tough times, um, you have the power to change it. Whereas if you say it's due to everybody else other than me, and technically I haven't actually made any mistakes, so I'm all good really. But the problem is I then haven't got the challenge to um, to get make myself better. And I used to literally lie in bed with Alison and remember holding her hand saying come on you idiot you've got yourself into this mess get yourself out of it brain do your thing and uh, it did and we got stuck back in again but that was the real I suppose moment and also the naivety had worn off by then in that we no longer had this sort of giddy we sold 37,000 tickets oh aren't we um, very giddy with what we're trying to do here it was really really raw and all of the reasons I suppose why this area or subject or experience has always been so poorly treated that it's only for six weeks it's a very difficult uh, audience there's no story all of these things came to sort of punch us in the face really but we were burning purpose we were burning we were trying to make something special and we had a real reason to do it so that's what got us through and there there is one thing also as say there holly is that mike is incredibly brave and to all of our suppliers at that time he went to speak to every one of them and explained the situation and said, this is what's happened. We never intended for this to happen. Um, we're going to move forward with this idea. And all of the suppliers still wanted to work with us moving forward because they knew mm. that we were acting with integrity, integrity and trying to do something good. And for me personally, I wasn't prepared for anybody else to let this idea fail when you know, mm. in terms of the the copycats because it was our idea and it was our purpose our passion our belief and I w- belief and I wasn't going to let somebody else steal that from us and leave it in the gutter that wasn't going yeah. to happen you know I just love what you've just said there I think that actually you know as entrepreneurs and you know we're alone with our thoughts aren't we as at night there's no one no one makes anything better for us um there is no one that's going to come in and ride in and solve the problem which you are desperate for when you're at your lowest low you you need saving you're desperate and actually like you said Mike the only person that can save you is you and actually taking that responsibility. I I know my father always has said to me, the one, uh, he said lots of lovely things, but one that I hold dearest is he says, you never shy away from taking the responsibility. So, you know, if you're online and it's raining, you can just say it was bad weather. I mean, actually, it's meant to be good for online. But actually, if it's sunny, it's good or bad for online, whatever you want to pick. It's these sorts of things. And I say to everybody, and that's just a silly example. No, no, no. That is an excuse. That is that is something that actually has happened to us. But what do we do to mitigate from it? And I loved what you said actually taking the responsibility in some way, it's actually feels safer (laughs) because at least then you do have even control of the things that you can't control. You still try and control. And I actually think that that's something rather than being the victim and just thinking that these things can just come in, totally take you down, actually try and get control of the uncontrollable. And just even those actions, I think, builds that resilience, doesn't it? Builds that bravery, builds that sort of, right, I'm still going to do it. So you you had this moment in time, it's, uh, and you came out of it. You, You literally pulled yourself through it, tougher, stronger coming out of it. All the, as you said, all the fairy dust slightly had come off you. You now were in 
business. You know, you, mm-hmm. you understood what you needed to do. Um, tell me, uh, for those who don't know um, and haven't experienced your wonderment, um, you're based in Ascot now um, each and every season and it's an absolute sellout. I read that it's harder to get, I mean, what a line. This And I know it's not a line, by the way, but it's just like, you know, you can't make this marketing lines up, can you? Um, it's hard to get to a ticket to Lapland UK than it is Glastonbury. Um, it's a spellbinding experience. Um, you've only just got to Google it to understand what we're talking. We're talking properly beautiful. I was almost thinking it slightly reminded me of Cirque du Soleil um, mixed with um, the real life Lapland, which I have been to. Um, that, that's 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 an excellent uh, reference there, Holly, and uh, one I've I've thought about because what did Cirque du Soleil do? We all sort of like the sort of spirit of circus, but it's all gone a bit weird, hasn't yes. it? There's sort of animals and oddities or and sort of strange people or whatever. So uh, is it Guy Libertaire? He he took that essence of that. He 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 took all the rubbish away, and then he uh, brought artistry, investment, real quality to everything that we do, and he lit the world up with that. Yeah. And there's an there's an essence of of what Lapland's doing here. It's very simple. We're we're just brilliantly executing um, an experience um, for a family to really celebrate that moment of a believing age. And it's the, I always say is that the the experience of Lapland is that we spend you know millions of pounds, a thousand people involved, but the real um, show that you have is you get to witness your own children or grandchildren being children because mm. it won't last very long. And I feel that the the sort of business model of Cirque du Soleil is very akin to what we're doing at Lapland. We yeah. want to completely reinvent. We're not interested in this polishing up. Yeah, gosh. Tell me, Alison, what goes into this? I mean, it, it obviously it takes you one year, so you mm-hmm. can't actually go through the list, but it, one year to do six weeks. What 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 sort of scale are we talking? Huge. Um, so <laughs> very early on in our journey, we realised that there wasn't any source material to work from. In what do you mean of, by that? In, in terms of storytelling. So generally, if you have an event or a show or something, you would go back to the vaults of some sort of um, stories and and you could build on the story world. But in terms of Father Christmas, really all children would know is Father Christmas, Mother Christmas and, and a reindeer with a red nose. So there was no world for us to, to pull on. So we had to create our own world, which involved us writing stories. So we'd already written the scripts for Lapland and the children were very interested in everything that was happening, but we had to build on that. So everybody loves a a, a world more than just a character. So now we have built 30 characters that all surround Father Christmas and we are building out all of their backstories as well. So all year long now we're working on storytelling and then from the stories comes merchandise. So we're working on, for example, character costumes for children to wear and all of the product at Lapland is Lapland owned, own brand. So obviously we're developing all of the product throughout the year as well. Um, but in terms of the visitors, it takes a huge amount of organisational planning, obviously, to get all of the detail right, because every child has a personalised experience. They all receive their personalised invitation from Father Christmas. So, um, yeah, the, the year goes by very, very quickly in, in terms of just the planning for 
bit each six weeks. And then we take over the forest in September and the whole build begins. It's a, a thousand people that work there during the season. It, it's, yeah, it's a lot of organising. <laughs> Alison is brilliant at the the detail and she, as we say, she has a real instinct or the voice for the children. She's like the child in the room when we're discussing things. And going back to our talks earlier about me having this sort of creativity that was bottled, somebody said to me that you bottled it for 20 years and now you've let the cap off of it. It's gone a bit nuts and it's all come (laughs) gushing out. So I very much uh, art direct and vision the show and every year I'm pushing and I'm famous for it and uh, intuitively uh, push the show further and further every year in every sort of creative aspect of it because I I want it to be extraordinary. That's Mm. really my goal. An example of that, Holly, is that... uh, we don't, we don't have any plastic or resin or anything like that at that plant. Everything is genuine. So genuine artifacts, genuine antiques. So we, we source antiquarian bookshops and we go to antique fairs all around Europe. And last year we went to Oberammergau in um, Bavaria and we were really inspired by the ways that they paint stories on the houses. So this year we've got a tremendous new toy factory that is painted with all of the stories of Lapland, but it looks as though you could be in Bavaria, an incredible balcony that's all hand carved and hand painted. Yeah, so everything is real. Everything that children touch has to be real and everything the parents see has to be real gosh it's 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 quite extraordinary this because actually I've spent my entire life um dealing with uh, the the same values but through products and not the you know real things real people real stories um artisans creativity but what you're doing has just really blown me away because actually you've created an entire, like Cirque du Soleil. I mean, there's not many, is there? Um, there's not many companies that have done this, but with the, the this lens of authenticity, the fact you are going around the countries, you are bringing this culture into your stories, it must make for quite an epic six weeks of course, I'm talking workload, but I'm also just talking the emotion that must be created oh, yeah. in this. I mean, do you have any standout moments? Because I can imagine you're brought to tears every year because not only are you witnessing literally what you've created, but you must have that moment as well. It- it, it is unbelievable. And only this week we held our Superstar Days. So right, I wanted since, to ask uh, about this. Yeah. Yes. So 2007 and um, with my kind of background in special educational needs as well as a teacher, we've held what we call our Superstar Days for those with additional needs. And we held this on Wednesday of this week. And it is the most emotional day that you could possibly imagine. And just to say about uh, the impact that it, it has on visitors, Two of the parents there on that day showed me that they have had tattoos of Lapland with the coordinates of our forest now. It means that much to people. My it's absolutely goodness. extraordinary. And really, you have to be there to feel the emotion. We have parents constantly coming up to us, whispering, thank you, hugging us. It's absolutely extraordinary. And when they go to meet Father Christmas, they come out in floods of tears because it's that stop the clock moment where you're Mm. there and you're looking at this little angel in this moment of belief. And the emotion that's attached to it, it, you just can't describe it without being there. 
Well, I feel I feel emotional actually just even listening to you because when yeah. you just said it's also parents just have that moment. You know, mm. we're so busy, we're so pulled, aren't we? And especially I can imagine on these incredible days, which you're very unique in doing, superstar days, where basically you make you turn down noises, you you make you adapt the entire day um around those with special needs, mm. all those sorts of things. But just for all parents, I think both on that day and other days, to just have that moment, you know, uh, you've got four boys, my son's just gone to uni. When you talk about going that moment, it goes so quickly, it makes me tear up because you, at at the time, oh my God, it can't go fast enough. Are you joking me? I mean, (laughs) do you know what I mean? The screaming, the bloody rugby, but whatever, Saturday morning, freezing your nuts off, you know, all those sorts of things. But the, Mm. the, the thing is that when you look back, I can imagine it's that bittersweet. Is a bitter, yeah, it is bittersweet. And so actually to be able to encapsulate that in a memory, actually by a memory, is so, so important. That, that's that's exactly and lovely to hear because I, I always say that Alison is like um, some of these uh, particularly young mothers, big sister, and sort of saying, I know you're busy, I know you're building a career, I know you've um, got all yes. sorts of things with schools and this and that, yeah. and you run the ragged and all this stuff. Sort of yes. yes. But but don't you dare miss these moments. Yeah. Because these are the, the best moments of your gone. life to be a parent. And, and, uh, and we've got you. That's why we have Honouring Childhood together. We're not doing it just us and we're sort of doing it to you we are doing it with you but in terms of also you were saying there holly about you know pinch yourself moments really so yes it is every day and the customers who are there but for me personally i think one of the greatest moments of lapland was meeting our late queen and um oh she was just so wonderful and she she um said of lapland it sounds splendid Oh my goodness. And you've had, you've had not only the Queen, you've had Elton John, you've had the Beckhams. It's just been incredible. I'd love to just touch you, you know, what's shining through is this integrity and you, um, you know, have gone through the hard times going into administration, coming out. You're family owned. You've never taken money from investors or sponsors because you can imagine that you could have had this sponsored, uh, you know, and also when the times are down, right? It's yeah. very difficult to hold on to brand values when you literally can't afford to live. Yes, but Alison is our Alison is our our, our sort of true north uh, north star. I was and, going to uh, say, as, in some ways, in those not coming from a at all business or commercial background to make things work. Um, in some ways, it's a good thing that she's in the room and it's quite tough because you can imagine there's been moments where I would have loved to have taken that yeah. slightly shabby yeah. Um, yeah. sponsorship, but it would never have got past Mrs. B. So uh, we had to just find another way. But, and that, isn't that great that you've got that the, 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 that protection, um, but both of you working together be, because that's what exactly you need. And you've, you've believed in word of mouth and social media and that advertising isn't right um, for you. Uh, Tell me about that and how you've been able to grow. Because in this day and age, obviously social media, by the way, you know, when we started our businesses, uh, please God, let there have been social media. But we all started, didn't we? Coming out of blinking the, you know, dial up modems and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now you've got social media. Great. Um, but actually, it's very difficult, isn't it, to maintain a brand purely by what some would say is quite old-fashioned advertising methods, word of mouth. And yet, 
that's what I feel in this, when you've got a product such as yourself or I'm building Holly & Co, it's almost like I would rather it be slower, glow, grow slower, but through word of mouth, because then I know I've got the right type of customer. I've got a loyal customer. I've got an advocate. Is that where you've been coming from? Yes. Yeah, so we've always called Lapland the secret in the forest and you find out when you find out. And I won't have any what you'd call above the line advertising. So you'll never see Lapland advertised on a tube or, you know, on a, a billboard or anything like that, because to the children, it's a real place. They've received their invitation from Father Christmas. So what they cannot then be allowed to see is buy your tickets for Lapland because then the magic has gone. So you won't see any of that above the, the line advertising with Lapland. And really, it has been word of mouth. And you could literally see where the bookings have come. It's like a match going into hay. As soon as it goes to one school, it's like a wildfire and then it goes to another. And you can we can plot all the addresses, obviously, <laughs> where the, the invitations are going. And by the way, the invitations have gone to 54 countries this year. Wow. So the, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, and but no, we, we've always said it's a secret in the forest. You find out when you find out. And of course, social media now we have lots of um, high profile people that come and they very kindly put their posts on Instagram and we've never ever paid for talent to come to the show it's it's not what we do it, no. it's all about the children some of them happen to have some famous big folk that come with them but they just again they're they're honoring their own children and they have such a wonderful time that they're happy to put those posts and and sort of recommendations out there and we've been very fortunate and that's the way we've grown from a, from a business perspective, Holly, I, I'm very much a, a champion of a pull mindset in that you can push your messages out to everybody, come and buy my this, come and buy my that. Whereas I think if you just create the most amazing product and the most amazing experience, that will pull people to you. We do the same with the, uh, the cast and the crew as well. Make it a really nice place to work and then they'll pull great people to you. So we've always... Well, I've always been focused on whatever money we've got or investment, we've got to put it down into the product and make that amazing. And then they'll all tell each other and they'll say, this thing is incredible. You've got to come. And we totally sold the tickets out, as you uh, referenced earlier, in an hour or so. And we didn't spend one penny on marketing. Yeah. That's that's a great message. And it's it's very, very difficult. And I think it's 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 it is difficult in terms of when times are hard. To not try and just, you know, spray money out there and just trying to get things to stick to you, don't, isn't it? Because actually, and or compromise the product or, ah, oh, this is working and so I'm going to just double down on this, even though it is bought from China. I used to make it, now I don't. All of these sorts of, these are really real things. But I was just mm. only speaking last night at a, a conference talking about brand and, and the integrity of brand. And if you can, eat and if you have to eat baked beans for many more years later you know longer do because the brand that's you know planted the deepest maybe in your forest or it's the one that is going to stand the test of time it's the one that will ride through difficult times and and talking of difficult times I mean you've had a, over a million delighted visitors you've been going 16 I think years you've, you've you, you, you tell me the story of when things don't go right because obviously this is all sounding fantastic but you know you would have gone through COVID um, I'm sure you've gone through other difficult times as well T tell me how you ride have ridden those storms 
Um, so the COVID one was an interesting one, actually, because we are a purpose driven company and sometimes you have to stand by those values. It's one thing to say them. It's another thing to act on them. And when COVID first hit, we thought children don't know anything about a pandemic and Father Christmas wouldn't let them down, so nor must mm -hmm. Lapland UK. If we can legally and safely open, we will. So we made that decision to still open in 2020. We had to work with Public Health England and we had to completely remodel the show. So we had to double the size of everything to allow for um, social distancing. Yep. We had to bubble families. We had to have COVID testing on site. It was incredibly difficult. The most challenging scenario you could ever I can't. possibly uh, Making magic have out of COVID. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But we wanted those families who had had everything cancelled that year, children's birthday parties, holidays, everything mm. had gone. We wanted them still to be looking forward to Christmas. So we did manage to open two weeks late because of the first lockdown. And then we were also shut down on the 19th of December when Boris did his famous, you know, everybody has to go home and lock away now for Christmas. Um, during that time, we did actually become the largest live event globally to take place, but it was incredibly difficult, harder than we would have ever imagined. But we did make a lot of families happy during that time. And given the same decision, I think we would have gone again. But back to what was most challenging for me in that period was when we were locked down and the families who were expecting to come couldn't come because the children had had their invitations and those families who were then not allowed to come, that for me was heartbreaking. We, we tried our very, very best. And as, as Alison said, we did remarkably become the, because everybody gave up, whereas we said, no, no, we're, we're still fighting for this. And as Alison said, even with all of the people that we had come, we didn't have one COVID alert that happened because we bubbled everybody so well. But there was a sort of magical end to the story, Holly, because... Uh, Boris did his thing where he suddenly said, you've got to be uh, shut or everybody's got to um, run home by 12 o'clock that night. Now, our last show normally is at six o'clock and that goes through. But uh, we were so determined to try and bring as much magic as we could to as many families. We basically rang round when the when the the sort of hammer went down. We rang around as many families as we could uh, in the local area that were booked for the following day uh, to say, look, if you could make tonight, we can still do the show tonight. It will be illegal tomorrow, but we can do it tonight. So we had this, what we call the Dunkirk um, <laughs> show, the tour. And we had all these uh, children coming in and they'd obviously been woken from bed and they were in their pyjamas. I remember there was a, a lady uh, in an ambulance outfit. She had, she'd come in with her children and they all came in and we just did this one last show and it was a very, very, very emotional moment. But it was yeah. brilliant. Gosh, my goodness. It, it is very emotional, actually, just even talking about these stories. Every week, I hand this part of the podcast over to our brilliant partners at Dell Technologies. We've covered a multitude of topics through our business pharmacies. And how do I scale my business is one of the most requested. But there's no one-size-fits-all answer, as it's so personal to each founder. Dell really understands this, and that's why they've launched Dell for Startups, a free service that provides startup expertise from dedicated technology advisors and scalable solutions to ensure your business is ready to grow 
So whether you need a personal Dell Tech expert on hand, server solutions, or financing options to scale your hardware, head to dell.com forward slash UK startups. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. We're coming to the end of this podcast. I, I just feel so Christmassy. I'm just going to eat mince pies all day, thanks to you all guys. The, 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 the stone that I'm going to put on is your fault. Um, okay. Tell me, when you look at um, what you're doing now, does it make you want to grow with your experience, uh, grow this uh, lap land? Does it make you want to do other things now you've done this for so long? What- we- we we are on a uh, most sort of remarkable adventure, and uh, I suppose the thing, and you'll understand this as well, Holly. As much as you make the business, the business makes you. Yes, it does. And, and you you change and develop yourself, which is a fascinating thing. And as somebody said to me, "I'm more me now than I've ever been in my life," and I think that's probably true. So then that makes you happy. But as to where the business is, we started with a purpose that then became a world and a storytelling world, and uh, we're in this adventure where one, yes, the the live. Show we've got an, an awful lot of interest and we would like to bring it to a wider market uh, and more children and families and so forth so because it seems to be a a force for good people absolutely yeah. love what we're doing so and you know people are fighting for tickets and things like that so if we could manage to make another show that would be great uh, I have literally um, offers and invitations to work around the world um, from Australia to Europe to um, America and so on and so forth so there's all of that so that's one live show of it. Another thing though that has happened is that through mine and Alison's sort of journey, we, we've created an authors to uh, this world and these um, six books that we've written. And we've written the foundation story of how a humble, childless couple could become mother and father of Christmas to the world. And we also do a second book where we uh, introduce you to the elven civilization and how that all works. And we actually uh, un- well, unpick the reason why they send the toys out at all. So there's messages of mm. kindness, environment, and it's a real sort of 21st century upgrading of everything. So once you have those, as you as a business person would understand, assets, yes. there's lots and lots of opportunity. And there's also the ability to protect everything that we've got. Oh, Don't worry. Uh, we, we, have, we have dogs on this podcast. How many um, dogs have you got? Just one. Only one. Just one. one. It, it's his it. birthday today. Oh, that's he just wanted me to know that. He's 12 today. Yes. 12 today. And what's his name? Paddy the Irish Terrier. Paddy the Irish Terrier, happy birthday. <laughs> you were saying, so yes, you're right, Mike. You've got all of these assets that, within the business. So, so we are literally talking with very large entertainment companies to potentially have our books made into feature films. We are talking wow. to um, uh, animation. Uh, we have also uh, this year, um, again, challenged to try and bring more Lapland to more people. Um, we've, we've developed some uh, products that you can have in the home. There's um, a letter writing experience that people can have. And there's also uh, a Christmas Eve box where you'll get a, a, a little special present early and you can open the box and inside there's a beautiful little Rudy and you can have the children cuddle that at night before Father Christmas comes the night uh, that night as such mm. so we're sort of broadening and becoming more confident yeah I mean we're probably moving into that sort of uh, M of the SME type thing and we're getting a little bit more confidence and that huge gap has been uh, filled of what we didn't know and we've got a sort of critical mass of knowledge and so then we're pushing on. So, Alison, did you want to say something? I was going to say that we 
are very much staying in the Christmas world. So we're not interested in starting other businesses. Sometimes people say to us, do you want to do an Easter bunny event or something like that? (laughs) But we want to very much be the specialists in the Christmas space. And as Mike was saying, that leads to multiple channels of Mm. publishing and media and digital, all sorts of different things. But my focus moving forward is going to be our foundation. So we're setting up the Lapland UK Foundation. And the purpose of that is to put a Christmas stocking on the bed of every child in a UK hospital or hospice on Christmas Eve. So that's something that I'm going to be very much moving forward with what in the future. What an amazing thing. I mean, actually, both what amazing things, because, you know, you're basically bringing Christmas wider in terms of from the business point of view the magic is going to be spread in different mediums and and I love that I you know I've never thought about where do elves come from or what is the backstory of Mr Mrs Christmas I've never even the father Christmas who would have even thought how ridiculous <laughs> that I've never no one's even thought about that I know um, did, you, also, did you not know that elves come from pine cones <laughs> I, on, I did on, not. on the enchanted tree of life <laughs> But you see, it's so beautiful. It takes me back. But I love this idea, a uh, stocking on F. And again, this is where now you've built that bigger, your your little business has now grown those strong roots. And this is where great companies can then start really changing things for the better. If your heart and soul, as it is, is in the right place, you can take that strength and you can do more of it. I talk about businesses being stronger than government governments in terms of making changes within their area. And absolutely, Mm -hmm. I fully believe it. What I believe that we're going to do with Holly & Co over the next 20, 30 years will move um, small businesses and founders to stronger positions than any policy that any government when they're in will do. And I think that's exactly what you're doing there. I, I, I honestly, I love every single moment of this, but I've got to come to the end, which is asking you about the roller coaster. So this has been, you know, similar times that we set up our businesses. Um, this has been a real roller coaster. We've now got a couple, nearly a couple of decades on our back of this. So tell me what has been uh, to both of you your lowest moment on the roller coaster. For me, I'll say the COVID experience um, and letting families down, in my opinion, children who were due to visit who couldn't come to the show. For me, it probably would be the uh, the administration. And it's easy now with Glorious Lapland to think that this is all, was always going to happen. Yeah. But there were so high levels of probability that this was never going to happen. There's probably the journey that Alice and I have taken is probably one in a million. Many, many, many people have tried to do something of credibility in Christmas and always failed because it's always just, it is so difficult. And there was no guarantee that we would make our way through. And I think at that moment, I was sort of erring on, is this even possible as a business? And I remember having people PR lady in my face saying why do you think you're the only people that can make this happen no one's ever done this before but we we persevered Holly you persevered I I had a lady poking me on the nose saying you're so good you should wear a halo <laughs> oh, how nice of her isn't it isn't it lovely when people just want to spread their joy like that isn't it mm. tell me um on conversely your greatest highs Alison do you want to start I will go back to the Queen, uh, meeting the Queen. And I don't have a tattoo, but if I did have a tattoo, it would say, sound splendid. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, there, there, there's been many, many um, highs that have come from the business. And, and most of all, I suppose, for me personally, is finding myself slightly through yeah, the whole journey. I can imagine. I think that's probably my best part of it, really. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's a phenomenon, really. And, and the thing for us is that although we're very proud of what we've done, the way that we will progress this business is it's not really about us. It's mm. about those children, about those families. And as long as we stick with that, we'll be fine. You yeah. know? I suppose if you want to get a glamorous story, our very best um, Lapland story was we were invited by Sir Elton John to uh, a concert in uh, Italy. And um, we sort of knocked on the little, I don't know, backstage door and in we came. And um, there was uh, all these very glamorous Italian people in there. So then Elton arrived and comes straight across to myself and Alison, two pasty Brits in the corner, <laughs> and uh, gives us a big cuddle. And then ultimately we end up uh, at the sort of just off the stage and uh, uh, Uncle Elton, as we call him, was... Um, uh, you know, performing as, uh, as brilliantly as he always does. And then he gave us a shout out. He <gasps> said, I'd just like to thank Mike and Alison for all the family memories. And then well, don't let the sun go down. And then at that moment, Stop and I can it. almost feel it. Yes, no, it did. It happened. And then uh, I can almost feel it now. If you can imagine the moments when we were like, you know, lying in bed thinking, how the hell are we ever going to make this work? Myself and Alison were just bawling our eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to bawl my eyes out. That is that is a that's one of the greatest highs I've heard on this podcast. I mean, Elton John says your name and then sings that song. Come, that that is a drop the mic moment, isn't it? That you did it. Well done. Yeah. This has been a beautiful podcast, and I really appreciate you going there and sharing this story. It is really inspiring. It's something really different that I've not covered in this podcast, and I, I absolutely. Um, really thank you for taking time out of the forest in this busy time of year for Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Um, I'm going to hand over now to um, yourselves. You've written a letter to your younger selves. Um, I don't know who would like to go first. Um, I think I'll go first. You'll go first. Right. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So I'm going to uh, hand over to you, Mike. Great. Okay. So, I mean, being mildly dyslexic, I'm not a natural writer. However, thinking that through, maybe writing is the very space I need to talk to my younger 14-year-old self. Okay. So here goes. Dear Michael, you're going to pass through your school days perfectly unexceptional in all things, other than weirdly being very good at high jump, setting records that will last for decades. At this point, although you have no logical reason to believe it, you actually sense you have something special inside of you. However, at school, you feel misunderstood, frustrated and somewhat caged with the threat of being humiliated, uh, hanging over you of being thought of as ordinary, as your secret is you are not very good at learning through books. And given reading seems to be the only method of evaluation other than sport, it would be easier and logical to believe you are in fact not special at all. Because at this time, you are being taught intelligence is binary. You are either a bookworm and clever, or not one, and therefore stupid. And no fledgling personality wants to admit to themselves or anyone else that they are thick. So I'm afraid protecting this unjustified sense of self-worth is going to be the fight of your early life, as you must never allow your light and confidence to be extinguished by others. 
Doing this is going to be tough and will require tremendous resilience and courage, especially given you are also the fifth child of five children in a family that doesn't really recognise or understand the value you hold. The good news is it'll all work out and you were in fact right because after a lifetime of relentless personal challenge and self-improvement, you'll understand, well, you'll come to understand academic competence is indeed important but definitely not the only way to value a person as people must be valued on a far broader spectrum or principles. With your newly excavated natural ability, your talent will become so very apparent as you ultimately unleash the potent creative force that you always knew was there, ultimately even surprising yourself. So hang in there, my boy, and enjoy the greatest adventure anyone can have of finding who they truly are, as only then will you be happy and serve as an example to your soulmate, Alison, your four spectacular sons and everyone you meet. Your creativity and vision might even change the world a little bit for the better. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you, Mike. I really am. Thank you. Really am. Alison. Dear Alison, I am writing to you as a 14-year-old grammar school girl and a ranger girl guide. You are a very capable girl. You sail through school. Things come easily to you. You are conscientious and hardworking. You take pride in being a high achiever. You want to please your parents. You are kind and thoughtful, empathic. You are quietly confident. But why only quietly? You are not brave. Inside, you have so many thoughts and opinions. You are bright and curious, but you do not have a voice. Or at least, you do not speak your mind. You care too much about what others will think of you. You do not want to embarrass yourself, make a fool of yourself or be seen as too big for your boots. Better to keep your thoughts to yourself. But you are wrong. You are doing a disservice to both yourself and others. You will be better company if you join the conversation, share your views and dare to show your personality because you have so much fun inside of you too. This fun side, which is kept private, save for immediate family and one or two close friends, comes from your inner child. You take comfort in childhood. It is your happy place, a place of wonder and imagination, playfulness. You refuse to let it go. The main thing I want to tell you, Alison, is don't ever let it go. Your ability to connect with children and understand the ways in which they think, the ways in which you think, will be the path to your future happiness. You will become an infant school teacher where for 20 years you will revel in the joy of being surrounded by the unfiltered and energetic personalities of small children. You will feed on their energy and take unimaginable pride and pleasure in developing their minds and shaping their early years. You will marry the soulmate you meet as a teenager and become a mother to four beautiful sons. With four little boys, including twins under school age, you will be in seventh heaven. Exhausted, yes, but ecstatically happy too. Despite the demands made of you, you will be unusually present and grateful, acutely conscious of the bittersweet fleetingness of childhood and determined to grasp every opportunity to suck the juice out of these years, commemorating the moments you make into memories. Your children, even when adult men, 
will forever be your greatest joy and proudest achievement. Not showing any interest in business, you will be astonished to learn that in your 40s, you will co-found a company with your husband. But what won't surprise you is that this company has a purpose to honour childhood. With your childlike mind and his courage and creativity, together you will completely reimagine the Father Christmas myth and create a world of 30 elven characters that you will bring to life in a forest event each winter that is so loved it grows a near cult following. You will become an author telling tales of an elven world and you will be humbled to learn that your stories become the belief system of a generation of children. You will be blissfully happy in your magical world, making the real world a more magical place. You will be fulfilled. Your business will take you on a roller coaster journey. There will be difficult times on this journey, but you will learn so much about yourself that you would never have explored otherwise. You are more capable than you ever imagined. You are creative and resourceful. You are strong. You think differently. You have perspective. My advice to you, Alison, is not to compete with and compare yourself to others. This is futile and self-limiting. Be you. Be authentic. Don't listen to naysayers. Those who care for you will champion you and celebrate your successes. Be passionate and believe in yourself and your idea. Quod potest tenta, your school motto. Strive to the limits of your power. Strive for excellence. Exceed expectations. Be kind, be warm, be respectful, be generous. Along this journey, you will meet incredible and inspirational people who want to hear your story. And you will find your voice. You will still be you, childlike, but not childish. You will be the voice of the children. (laughs) You two, you two, I'm so happy to have met you both. What magical humans that you are. I just, I really, you've not only touched so many people already, I just think you're on your way. I think you are, you know who you are and you've become who you are and you are now the fullest versions of yourself. And I can't (laughs) wait, wait to see how many more young souls you're going to touch. And thank you for a person who loves children, who lives for children like myself, Well, I only had one son and I wish I had had more. I live for the children around me and I'm so, so happy that you you do this thing for them. Um, And it's just a a, a bloody beautiful thing. Thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you for having us and happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask that you share it with a friend and like, subscribe and review it too, so that together we can inspire even more people to follow their dreams, to build a life they love. Mm